Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. Are we? We're good. Good. All right. Let me get set here. And will you turn that fan on, honey? Thank you. I don't know how people lived back in the day with these outfits on, but I'm hot. Okay. Yes. All right. Let me start out by saying one thing, and I'm going to pray. Um, Robert Hunt. He was the chaplain of the expedition that founded Jamestown in 1607. They came over on the ship and they carried a huge wooden cross with them. And they planted that cross on Cape Henry. And these are the words that he said at that time. He said, we do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us and with these generations take the kingdom of God to all of the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains. And may this land, along with England, be the evangelist to the world. May all who see this cross remember what we have done here and may those who come here to inhabit join us in this covenant and in this most noble work that the Holy Scriptures may be fulfilled. And after he prayed, he read this scripture passage and it is from Psalm 22, 27 and 28. It says, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee for the kingdom is the Lord's and he ruleth among the nations. That is the foundation. That is the foundation of this land that we're standing on, covenanted with God at that point. And that was 13 years before the pilgrims landed, okay? 13 years before the pilgrims ever came. Um, that cross was planted and that covenant was made, okay? So um, let's pray. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord God, we are so grateful. <laughs> We're so grateful for this land that you've given us. We're so grateful, Father God, for the gifts and the callings that you've given the people of this country. Father God, as I speak tonight, I pray that your words come forth. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless us and you would fill us with a sense of love for our country and care for our country, Lord God. We pray and we speak your word that says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Your word says, happy are the people whose nation, whose God is the Lord. So Father, we give you this evening, we give you these few minutes, Lord God, and I pray that we would glorify you in it, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, I'm gonna share just a minute about my heart for why I do what I do. Um, you know, in the scriptures, when I read the scriptures and I read the Old Testament, um, especially, you know, the prophets, and they speak of Israel, um, every time I read about Israel, God always prompts me to think of America. 
I always think of America, and uh, especially Daniel. In the book of Daniel, I believe it's chapter nine, it's his prayer for Israel. Every time I go to read that, I think of America. Um, there's also, as I'm doing this, um, Psalm 78, and I'm just gonna read a few uh, verses of this, Psalm 78, and the title is, um, Tell the Coming Generation. And it says, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but will tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise to tell them of, uh, to their children so that they should set their hope in God. Glory to God that my children would set their hope in God. Um, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Mm, I read those and I, I am stirred um, to teach my kids and my grandkids and whatever other kids I can get my hands on um, what God has done for us and especially what God has done for us here in this nation, that they would understand their American heritage. And there's one other scripture and that is Jeremiah 6.16. It says, thus says the Lord, stand by the road and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Praise God, you know, we have to look back. We have to understand where we came from so that we know where we're going. And if we do not tell our children we are doomed, we are doomed. Our children need to understand the godly heritage that we have in this country. So, um, that's, that's kind of why I do what I do. I was a, a teacher, a history teacher, junior high, um, for 16 years. So I taught history and English, and when I retired, uh, well, and I did the Betsy Ross thing at school. We would have colonial days, and the kids would dress up, and I would dress up, and we would have a great time. Um, but when I retired, um, you know, I, the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. You don't just stop teaching. You don't just stop speaking. And um, so I went to the uh, elementary principal at the school that I taught at. And of course, at this point, I had seven grandchildren in the elementary school. So I had kind of a, a double reason for wanting to do this, but we spoke. And one of the things, you know, we both said that patriotism is not taught in the schools anymore. Even in the Christian schools, patriotism is not taught. Um, and so we decided I would come in a couple times a year and dress up, I got to wear my outfit, and talk to the kids about um, our heritage. And I would talk about the flag, I've talked about the declaration, and the joy that these children have when we talk, and I will tell you some of the things. I, at one, one time I had a group of kindergartners, and uh, I said, do you know who the father of our country is? 
and you know, just wondering if they would know or not. And you know, I had kids, Abraham Lincoln, and you know, um, President Trump, and just different things. But one little girl was so excited, so excited. I know, I know. And I said, okay, who is the father of our country? And she jumped up and she said, Jesus. And I, I, I looked at the teachers, I thought, I can't say that's not true. I can't say that's not true. And I said, he's the big father. I said, George Washington is the father on earth. But um, so, and why Betsy Ross? Betsy Ross was one of the first daughters of the American Revolution. She was one of the first, and um, I'll tell you a little bit about her. She was born on January 1st, 1752, and she was born Elizabeth Griscom, and she was born to a Quaker family. She was in the, the Quaker community. Her father was a carpenter. Um, her mother um, had 17 children. 17 children, only eight of them survived to adulthood. Um, but during that year, a couple of the things that uh, happened, the Liberty Bell was commissioned and brought to Philadelphia and then put up in the Belfry. Another thing was um, Benjamin Franklin um, did his famous kite flying with the key on the end and realized that electricity, you know, lightning was electricity and then invented the um, lightning rod which saved many, many homes from fires. Back then, the fires, the lightning would hit the top, so the lightning rods would cause the uh, electricity to go right into the ground. Um, during that time that she grew up, it was very tumultuous. The French and the Indian War went from um, 1754 to 1763, and um, as she was growing up, and she, at that time, Philadelphia was just, almost, just like a village. It wasn't huge, you know, like what we think of Philadelphia today. It was small. And um, so that was going on, and, and when the war was over, of course, King George III, who was ruling from England, ruled the colonies, needed money. He needed money to pay for his wars, and especially the, uh, um, the French and Indian War, of which he felt the colonists needed to pay because we were living here. Um, and so the things like the Stamp Act started to um, cause the colonists to get angry. And there, were, there was um, conflict going on. And in 1770 was the Boston Massacre. I don't know if you guys, are you familiar with some of these things? The Boston Massacre, the Boston Tea Party, um, the Intolerable Acts, where the king really started, you know, putting the hammer down on the colonists. So that was all going on at the time that Betsy was growing up. And um, one of the things, now again, her family was Quaker. Um, they did not want her associating with um, kids outside of her, you know, faith but she did not listen. Um, and so she did associate with, and there, was, there were some young men that thought she was really beautiful. They, you know, started to hang around and mom and dad were not happy with that at all. Um, she was a beautiful seamstress though. That was one of the things, that was a gifting from God. Um, beautiful at embroidery and she won uh, probably the equivalent of 4-H, that kind of thing. She won awards and that for her, um, for her stitchery. Um, but she did come to know a man named John Ross. And she fell in love with John Ross and she felt that love was stronger than church connections. So they did marry. They married in November of 1773 
and um, she was shunned then from her, from the Quaker community and from her family, completely shunned. Um, and so that happened in the spring of 1774. Now, what was going on, and again, she totally embraced, see, and the, the worst of it was for her family was that her husband was not only an, an Episcopalian, but he was the son of Episcopalian preacher. So, I mean, that was, that was, that was horrible. That was horrible back then for them. Um, but she did marry. Her husband was, had been an apprentice to an upholsterer, so they started their own business. And the way things were back then was the, the businesses were in the front and their homes were in the back. So the business was in the front of the buildings and then they inhabited um, the back. So they did that. But again, things are heating up. Things are, are getting to the point where they're talking war. And the colonists and the loyalists and the Quakers, because they were pacifists, they wanted nothing to do with war. And then you have your loyalists or your Tories that were fighting against the colonists. And um, so things were, were um, heating up. They talked of war. They talked of recruiting and, and that kind of thing. Well, um, one of the things was that there were so many flags at that time. So many different flags. And I'm going to talk to you about these flags just, just briefly. Um, going, you know, once you, start, once you start researching something, do you know that how many times I've seen the word flag in the Bible since I started talking about this? It's like it's everywhere. Um, one of my favorites, though, Exodus 17.5 says that the Lord is our banner. He is our banner. Um, that was awesome. But the Israelites, every one of the tribes, they congregated around their own banner, their own flag. They had a tribal um, flag. Some of the different words for flags, uh, banner, ensign, standard, pennant, um, jack, colors, the colors, we're raising the colors or lowering the colors. Um, vexillum is the Roman word for flag. And that's where you get the word vexillology, which is the study of flags. Um, but even in Africa, the different tribes, they would have poles and they would have animal skins that depicted or showed which, which tribe you belonged to was by what was um, the animal skin on the pole. Different things, um, the uh, uh, heraldry back in the medieval times was um, particular events would be painted onto the shields, their shields and that kind of things, or the importance of family um, crest. Um, they were used mostly, and then of course, once China um, developed silk, once silk was developed, well then the flags you know, turned into something else. And actually the word flag, um, if you go back to study what the word flag means, it means to flutter, it means to flutter or flap. Um, so, of course, flags were used very much with ships um, to identify and to give a message. It was, you know, they identified the ship or the message. And I know you all know the Jolly Roger. When the Jolly Roger came into view, it, it, obviously pirates, um, if they lowered their flag and the white flag went up, you know, saying basically we surrender. Um, so. Of the flags that we have here, join or die. This flag, it was actually a woodcut first. 
It was a woodcut that uh, Benjamin Franklin um, designed, and this was actually, and it went in the newspapers. It was the first political cartoon um, of the time. And join or die, this was during the French and Indian War, and at that point, they only had eight colonies. So this snake is cut into eight pieces, basically with the warning, join or, you know, we're all gonna fall apart, we're all gonna die. Um, and what they used here, what he used here, there's so much symbolism in all of these flags. Um, it is a timber rattlesnake. And there's a timber rattlesnake is used there on that flag too. The timber rattlesnake, like the bald eagle, are native to the Americas only. And um, they, uh, the timber rattlesnake, one of the things about the snake, the rattlesnake, was said that they do not, they are not aggressive. They will wait and they will rattle and they will rattle to warn any predators coming their way um, not to attack. But once they are attacked, they will never give up. They will never give up. So, um, obviously, the symbolism, this was used um, during then, once the, once the colonists, um, during the Revolutionary War period, they, they resurrected this one to use again. This one was, um, it's called the Gadsden flag. And that one was developed by um, Christopher Gadsden, delegate to the Continental Congress, Brigadier General in the Continental Army, and it was made to be a Navy flag. Most of these flags were flown on ships well before they were ever flown, you know, during battle or anything. Um, but the Continental Marines adopted this all. I could just see the Marines. My son is a Marine, and, you know, this flag is very familiar to him. They painted it on their drums as they went into battle, and so that rattlesnake, don't tread on me, um, with the idea of don't, you know, don't provoke me. Don't do that because I'm going to fight. Um, and then, and can I tell you, this is one of the things I thought, this is my home church. When I saw that flag during praise and worship, I don't know where it is over there, it's, it's one of the flags, I thought, oh, I feel like I'm home. Um, this one was um, made by the secretary to George Washington. He put, and now there's different variations. There was the, the pine tree, Lots of symbolism with the pine tree, too. Um, but the, the secretary to George Washington, they needed a flag. And again, they didn't have one flag for our country yet. So this flag flew on the very first of Washington's um, naval ships with the idea, and there is a quote that was, um, I don't know if it was the early 1700s, maybe before that even, when all else, when you have done everything else, appeal to heaven. So as they flew this one, um, that was, and George Washington loved God. He was such a godly man. This, this meant a lot to him. Um, what they tried to do in the beginning was use this particular flag. This, um, the canton right here, the square, is the British flag, okay? Flag of the British Isles. Not England's flag, but British Isles. Um, so they tried to put the two together the um, 13 um, stripes, and they did red, they, they've got seven red stripes, six white ones, because they believed with the red on both ends, you could see it easier at sea. So with the two, the red, the borders. Um, but 
The British flag, that square, uh, the, the cross in the middle is um, St. George. He was the patron saint of England, Pat patron saint of England. If you see flags of England, you will see a white flag just with the big red um, cross in the middle. And George was um, a soldier during the time of Diocletian, back in the Roman days, and uh, he was killed because he wouldn't uh, recant his faith. So he was, he's considered the patron saint of, um, of England. But then you have, and there should be another stripe running through here. There's two others um, for the cross that goes um, that way. One is for Ireland and one is for Scotland as the British Isles, and at that point, Wales was not separated yet, so it was just the three, but um, one, uh, let's see, the patron saint of Scotland was St. Andrew, one of the apostles. That was theirs, and then, of course, the one of Ireland is St. Patrick, and the story, I don't know if you know the story of St. Patrick, but um, he was, obviously, we all know St. Patrick's Day. Um, okay. So, just a little bit of flag history. I'm not gonna talk about that one yet. That is our Betsy Ross flag. Now, um, John and Betsy Ross were married. They, they worked together in the, the upholstery business, um, but he did join um, the, uh, he enlisted. As they were talking of war, this was right after, this is 75 now, 1775, the battle of Lexington and Concord, the shot heard around the world. Um, he enlisted and he became a part of the Pennsylvania militia. Um, the only problem, the very sad thing that happened was within six months he was killed. He was killed, it was a, uh, they, they um, patrolled the wharf and as ammunition and things came in, they were to guard that, there was an explosion. So very shortly, they had only been married two years. And, um, but she did, she continued the upholstery business. She went on, she was, she was still a patriot. She was very vocal about her views. Um, and uh, so at this point now, and that happened in January of 1776. Okay, things are heating up. Um, May of 1776, George Washington came back to Philadelphia because the Congress needed him. They were floundering, and they needed him to help make some decisions about the troops and how they were gonna be paid, and clothing and food and all that kind of thing. And there was something about George Washington that um, he just unified them. He, you know, you think of him as being president, you know, of course, first president for two terms. He had a unifying force that they, he came back and they got things done. All of a sudden the resolution started going through and things started happening. And then June 7th, 1776, Richard Henry Lee made the resolution, he proposed the resolution that um, these United States or United colonies ought to be separated from Britain. They, uh, uh, where's my quote? Um, anyway, he, um, he made that, and at that point, this was when, and that was on June 7th of 1776, so they formed a committee because they said, now we have just, the resolution has been made, we have to put it in writing. 
we have to write down what is resolved and why and all the rest of that because they were gonna send it out to the world. The world needed to hear what this small group of people were gonna do. And, um, but President, or at General Washington at the time, um, it, one of his main things was that we needed a flag, a flag to unify. And um, he was, he now had been, um, with the troops, but there was so much inward fighting. The colonists, the, the soldiers of one colony were fighting against the soldiers of another, and they all had different flags, and they all had different you know, beliefs, and, and he knew, he truly believed that, um, that, that patriotism would come if they had a flag that would unify them. So that was, that was huge. They needed a visible sign of unity. He believed it would stimulate the patriotism and the loyalty. So he, in Congress, they didn't care that much. They, they had other things they felt were more important. So he took it to individual delegates, and he, would, he was talking, and there were finally two gentlemen that, um, that were really on board with him. One was um, Robert Morris. He was uh, a patriotic financier. He ended up financing most of the revolution towards the end of the revolution. Lost all his money, lost it all. Um, and then George Ross, who happened to be John Ross's uncle, who knew that he had a feisty little niece that would be the per who sewed beautifully, that would be the perfect person to make this first flag. Now, there are, there is nothing officially written that Betsy Ross sewed that first flag, but there is nothing that says that she didn't. And there's much of the family records and the diaries and George Washington's diary and that allude to the fact that she made this first flag. But as far as even the design of the flag, some say it was George Washington's design, partly from a family crest. Some say it was another gentleman who was a part of the Continental Congress that had made other flags, but there's nothing written. But as the story goes, these three gentlemen go to her house, and of course she knew, you know, her uncle, and Robert Morris, you know, she'd seen, and she sees George Washington standing at her door, and she, because she's so, they revered him. And here he is, a very humble man, coming to talk to her about making this flag. And so they come into her humble abode, they go into her parlor, and they're showing her the design. And they started out with a six-pointed flag, or a six-pointed star. And she said, no, no, she said, that will not do. She said, you need to have a five-point flag, or a five-pointed star. It will, you know, it will be better aesthetically, whatever. And they said, we know, but they're too hard to make, to make it perfectly um, symmetrical. And uh, I'm gonna show you, I have been practicing this. As she's listening to them, she takes a sheet of paper and she folds, one fold, and uh, it was just, okay. Let me get this just right. And she's listening to them, and she folds it again. And she opens it, and she brings this corner. Folds that down. Flips this edge over. Very 
perfectly. Then she folds this side. I can't tell you how many pieces of paper I've done to do this. So she comes up like this and, oops, she takes her scissors right at this point here and she makes one cut. And as they're watching, she opens a perfect five-pointed star. Well, they were just shocked. They were absolutely shocked. And I, in my mind, this is, this is me. I'm sure she's looking and looking at General Washington going, well, General, you know, you have your giftings. I have mine <laughs> right here. And uh, so they were like, yes, do it, use it. And so she said, I've never made a flag before. Um, I don't know if I can, but I will certainly try. And so they left and she went down to the wharf and asked for a flag for one of the flags from the ships and she just looked at it, looked to see how it was made. The next thing was to the fabric um, warehouse to get bunting and this was the result. Okay, now, um, the red, white, and blue. The red signifies hardiness or valor. The white is for purity and innocence. And the blue, the, the canton, the square, is uh, vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Now, the circle, because, uh, you know, they talk about the wedding ring and that circle, eternity. It symbolizes eternity and unity, a never-ending circle. And so 13, starting with 13, um, and that was the very first flag. Um, they came back, they approved it, and uh, she started sewing flags. And that woman sewed flags day and night. When she wasn't working, she was sewing flags. Now they do have um, records of bills of sales of her making um, flags. It just, they don't have the, uh, you know, that original, um, that she did the original flag. Now, while that was going on, there was a young man uh, just a few blocks away, 33-year-old lawyer, that was sitting up on the second floor of a home writing the Declaration of Independence. Wow. Thomas Jefferson working, it took him 18 days, and there were, there were changes and there were things, you know, back and forth, they had a committee, they were a committee of five. He was the writer of the group, even though he was the youngest. Um, now you all have read the Declaration, correct? Have you all? Oh, I'm so thrilled. Um, usually, I've had, uh, I've had the, my last group of grade school kids, um, I went through just a very general um, um, description of the Declaration, five parts. The first part explains the why. Why are we, why are we separating? And uh, the words, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another 
and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the causes that impel them to the separation. That's the first chunk. This is why we're doing it. Things have happened. We are separating. We need to separate. Things have happened and we're gonna tell you what they are. The second part though, is the most important. And I'm telling you, the Declaration of Independence is one of the two most important human documents in human history. One of the most important documents. And this second, because you understand that the United States was formed from ideals, from ideals and a belief that God had called them to this. There was never a nation, ever, that was formed like the United States were. Every nation had a king, an emperor, there was a succession, there was the right of birth, never. And I've read things that while this was going on, there were colonists that would run through the streets shouting, no king but King Jesus, no king but King Jesus, no king but King Jesus. And this idea that they would not have a king that they were gonna have a government that was going to be um, put in place by the people. And so the second part, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. This had never happened before, never. That's what that flag stands for, is a nation formed like no other nation. You know, you talk about is America special? Is America different? Yes, it is, just for that reason alone. Are we special? No, no. Are we any different than any other person in any other country? No but our nation was formed and it is different. It was formed differently. Um, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and in, to institute a new government. Ugh, never been done before. Never been done. Laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. The idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, it's the pursuit, being able to pursue happiness. Not necessarily, we're not granted happiness. We are granted the right to, to go after it. Um, one of the last parts of that same um, um, section that I love so much says, uh, the history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. This document was gonna go from one end of the world to the other. Every country was gonna get a copy of this. They were all watching to see if we could do it. And this was a ragtag group of people that we didn't have an army, we didn't have anything. 
but we had God. And they truly believed it. They believed that God had foreordained this nation to be formed. And so it goes on in the declaration, it's not very long, um, but 27, I'm not gonna read them, <laughs> 27 um, grievances against the King of England. And they listed them, one after another after another, um, to show we're not doing this, we're not rebels. We have been you know, put upon, we are the ones who have been hurt. Um, so that's the third section. The fourth section then talks about what they did about it. All these things happened to us, this is what we've done. We have appealed to the king over and over and over again. We have asked, we have asked for representation. We have, you know, all of that kind of thing. And nothing, we were met with nothing. Okay, and then, besides the second chapter, or the second uh, paragraph, my most favorite. Oh, if this doesn't stir you, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly pub publish and declare that these united colonies are and of a right ought to be free and independent states. When I shared that with a group of fifth graders, can I tell you, those kids jumped up and clapped. I mean, at that moment, they were like, yes! They were so excited and so thrilled. And I was like, oh, uh, just, just blessed me. And it says, and they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the states of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, to conclude peace, to contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all the other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, and with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Mm. I, I can't express. That's what I think of when I look at that flag. And the things that went on, and they knew at that point, I mean, the war had just begun. President, or General Washington said it was gonna be a long and bloody war. He believed it, and it was. It was. Um, it went on until, um, oh gosh, 1781. Yorktown, Cornwallis, um, surrendered at Yorktown in October of 1781, the Treaty of Paris, 1783. Um, they knew that this flag had been flying from the beginning of the war because there were artists in the army that were drawing all the time. They were drawing pictures of the different battles. And so in Trenton and Princeton, some of the earliest battles, that flag is shown in the back. It was the, uh, the Betsy Ross flag. And uh, <sighs> Betsy, just to let you know what happened with Betsy, she continued on, um, she married two more times. Um, both of her, the second husband and her third husband, ended up in British prison camps. 
um, and by a strange, and it was in, uh, actually, the prison camp was in Plymouth, England. Plymouth was where the pilgrims first came from to come to America, and that's where this prison camp was. But the second husband, they, they couldn't find him. There were years that he was gone. And um, come to find out, her, it wasn't her third husband yet, but he ended up in the same prison camp and spoke with him and prayed with him, and, and the second husband died. Um, he came back and had to give the news to Betsy Ross that they had found her husband, and eventually um, they married. Um, and she ended up having seven daughters altogether, seven, seven girls. Um, but my point to all of this is to share and to, uh, to stimulate our thinking about sharing the greatness of this country. Amen. I'm serious. This is something that must be passed on. Um, that flag represents the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sacrifices as Veterans Day is coming up. Are there veterans in here? Are there veterans? You guys are right along with the very first veterans of this country. You are in the same group as those guys that died in the revolution. Those were our very first veterans. Um, but, and, and you know, we're still a work in progress, my goodness. One of the things that they, they took out of the declaration was to end slavery. Yeah. Tom, or Thomas Jefferson had it in there. They had to remove it because they were afraid that the southern states would not sign. And they said this is gonna be a, a fight for another day, and it was. It was, um, but they knew it was coming and they knew it was wrong. But that, that's part of, you know, you're talking about fallen human beings, um, but there's something about that flag that should stir our hearts. Um, in the War of 1812, one of my most favorite, a young lawyer from Maryland was sent to, um, negotiate for a doctor that had been taken um, by the British, and he ended up out in the uh, harbor, and the Battle of Fort, um, Fort McHenry was happening, and uh, he, had, he had gotten the doctor's release, but the bombardment of Fort McHenry had already started, and they said that between 1,500 and 1,800 shells were fired at Fort McHenry that night. And so he sat on this ship waiting. And I'm telling you, it was the, the bombs over and over and over, and it was pitch dark. So all they could see was this flashing. All they could see was what, you know, and as night wore on, and you know, he's in this ship wondering, what's happening? What's happening, you know, to my, my country? What's, are we gonna win this battle? Are we gonna lose this battle? And as it got, closer and closer to dawn, and the clouds, and it's starting to lighten up, and the clouds were there, and the fog, um, and all the rest of it, and as the sun was breaking through, and the clouds broke, he looked up, and there was that American flag flying. And in that moment, in that moment, he got his pen, and he wrote these words, oh, say can you see, by the dawn's early light, what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight 
or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. Mm. I'm telling you what, one of the things that I have done with my children is um, that we, we sang a lot of patriotic songs at home. And um, my kids, my girls started to play the piano and of course I got patriotic songs for them, but our favorite, our favorite was Grand Ole Flag. Do you guys know Grand Ole Flag? We're gonna sing it, we're gonna sing it. My kids would pound on that piano and we would march around the living room and we would sing that song. And even my grandkids, at a, one point we were driving in the car and my little granddaughter, she said, Gigi, she goes, look, there's the Grand Ole Flag. It was flying in somebody's yard. But it's in there that they love that flag. Okay, here we go. You're a grand old flag, you're a high-flying flag, and forever in truth peace shall you wave. You're the emblem of the land I love, the home of the free and the brave. Every heart beats true for the red, white, and blue where there's never a boast or brag. Should old acquaintance be forgot, keep your eye on the grand old flag. Oh, hallelujah. Let me pray, let me pray with you guys. Um, there was a scripture that I heard just recently. We're gonna, we're gonna end with this. And it is in Habakkuk 3.2. God, we have heard what our ancestors have said about you. We are convinced of your power and we are making a sincere appeal to you do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you have worked among them. Father, we ask you to fill us fresh tonight with a sense of awe over what you have done in this nation. A sense of awe, Father God, as what you have given us that we are so privileged to be in a country like no other country. Lord God, renew us, revive us, Lord God, restore us to the biblical principles that made this nation great. Father God, may we start afresh every day to pray for our nation, to tell our children and our grandchildren about this great country, Lord God, that you have given us. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for letting me share with you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Mm. It was my pleasure.